I'm going to tell you a TV show, and I'm going to ask you if you've seen this TV show. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Some of you have watched it. Uh, it was an older TV show, mainly black and white. They've tried to restore it on occasion, but it's kind of jarring to watch it in color uh, as opposed to the original black and white, as God intended. Uh, but has anybody ever watched I Love Lucy? I Love Lucy. A few of you. A few of you. Smiles in the room. Uh, well, I'll tell you, watching some of those shows, like I Love Lucy or even Dick Van Dyke, those shows, watching them again now, were far ahead of their time comedically. <laughs> uh, nothing else compares uh, to, to the comedy coming from uh, Lucy and coming from Dick Van Dyke. But particularly I Love Lucy, there was one show that came to my mind recently, or one episode of that show. Uh, it's the episode where Lucy, and if you've never seen I Love Lucy, first off, go home immediately after we're done here and pop that up on whether TV or Amazon, wherever you, Netflix, I don't know who's got it, but somebody's got to have I Love Lucy. I mean, it's a national treasure. you got to go watch it. Um, but Lucy and her best friend Ethel get this job at a chocolate factory. Anybody remember, know where I'm going? Okay, thank you. They get this job at a chocolate factory. I don't really remember the circumstances or why they need a job at a chocolate factory or what's going on, but how, however they wrote it, so they get this job at a chocolate factory just to make the funny things happen. We don't care because the funny things happen. So they get this job, and this lady, this mean boss comes in and uh, is barking orders about what they need to be doing here. They're in this room, Lucy and, and her friend, and this conveyor belt's going to start coming, and chocolate is going to be on the conveyor belt. And it's their job in the assembly line to take the chocolate off of the conveyor belt and wrap it in a wrapper and then put it back on the conveyor belt for the people in the next room to take it and then put it in a box. And the lady says, it's going to come. You grab it and you wrap it and pop it back on. And so the, she, the, the boss screams and the conveyor belt starts and the boss leaves. And so it's Lucy and Ethel in the room. And the conveyor belt starts, and it's going real slow, and the chocolate's coming, and it's real easy. They're laughing, you know, wrap it up, plop, they're doing it. If you really notice, you go and Google this scene. Uh, I love Lucy, chocolate conveyor belt. They do a terrible job of wrapping the chocolate, but they just drop it back on there, and, and they've got it. they got a rhythm going. But all of a sudden, that conveyor belt starts going faster, and they're just rushing. Now they're, they're looking at each other, and they're trying to do this, and they're wrapping it and trying to drop it back on the deal. Uh, but then they realize the conveyor belt's coming faster than they can keep up with. And so they start grabbing the chocolate, and they start throwing it in their hats, and they start throwing it in their mouths, and they're throwing it in their clothes, just trying to keep from going into the other room because their boss told them, if any of the chocolate gets to the other room and it's not wrapped, you are fired. And so they're just doing everything they can to keep this chocolate from going to that next room. They're scooping it off the conveyor belt, to, 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 and they start wrapping it here in front of them. And they hear the boss yell, and the conveyor belt stops, and the boss is going to come in their room, and then all, I mean, they're panicked now, and so they're shoving as much chocolate in their mouth, down their shirt, in their hat. Lucy takes her hat off and just puts all the chocolate in her hat, and just, they got like chef's hat, and she flops it back on her head, and the boss comes in, and their mouths are like, like full of chocolate, and she said, man, y'all doing great. None of the chocolate got to the next room, and then the boss says, y'all can handle this, and the boss screams, speed it up. And their eyes get really big, and, and they leave the room. And, I mean, it's just like flying into the room now. And they're just grabbing it. And there's no way they're going to keep up with this chocolate coming down the conveyor belt. And this made me think uh, of today's message for this reason, uh, that they had a rhythm going for a moment, but all of a sudden the pace that was coming down the line was too much for their rhythm to maintain. And they could not, once they got out of sync, 
They could not get the rhythm back. And that rhythm that was not there was going to affect them as they were going to get fired because they could not keep up with the rhythm required. And oftentimes in our own lives, sometimes the rhythm that we desire in our lives is not always present. The expectations we have about a rhythm of life uh, can have dire consequences on us when, we, when our expectations are not met. And we can struggle and get frustrated and get irritated and complain, and that will then impact those around us when our rhythms are out of sync and in the frustration and complaining and irritation and honestly lack of joy, that will you know, emanate off of us onto those around us and cause their rhythms to get out of sync. So our out-of-sync rhythms then begin to have far-reaching consequences that we did not anticipate uh, as we move through our lives. And we're, what we're going to see today is that that very thing, the rhythms of life that we have now will have impact and, and uh, uh, issues and, and effects into succeeding generations far beyond us as we step into heaven and others are pursuing what God has for them now. And so we've been looking at heaven and what heaven's going to be like. What are our rhythms of life going to be in heaven? Well, today we're going to take a look at some of that and continue on next week as well. But uh, open your Bibles, if you have them with you, into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All the stuff will be on the screens if our screens work. Uh, it's not Stacy's fault. The computer was having problems. It's not her fault at all. Uh, but uh, if they work, and if you're online, if they work below the, the, uh, the video here, uh, you can watch there because we're going to be in a bunch of different scriptures. Uh, if you're a Bible drill, which Bible drill on Wednesdays now, but uh, if you're in, if you're a Bible driller, just start flapping through those 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 pages. I'll be very impressed with you. But First Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to start. Paul's writing here, speaking uh, of heaven and some things that are going to be going on. He says in verse 42, "So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable." And what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now look at some things Paul's talking about. He's giving some illustrations about the body we're going to have when we get to heaven. And he gives the, the imagery is of a farmer. He, you know, you sow something and then something is, is raised from the seed that is sown. You put something in the ground and something is raised from that that's better than the thing you put in the ground. And that's the idea with a body. Uh, the natural body, he says there in verse 44, uh, the natural body is sown. The natural body is placed in the ground. And from that, as we're going to see later on, is raised a spiritual body. And that sounds great. That sounds incredible. That sounds very theological. And you look at that, though, but think about that phrase, spiritual body. Does that sound oxymoronic to anybody else? How can you be spirit and have a body? Because I thought spirits didn't have bodies. How can they both exist? And Paul says it right there in the verse, spiritual body. He says it like it's a you know, common phrase. He uses and Maybe he did in first century. He talked about spiritual bodies a lot. I don't know. But he says it's a spiritual body. The natural body, this physical body, is placed in the ground, and a spiritual body is raised. It is raised from that natural body. Now, 
And we're going to look at the definitions of those words that Paul used in the original language. Natural body, he's talking about a body that is under the influence and effects of sin. This body we have, this physical body we have, is under the influence and effects of sin. We are influenced. Anybody, don't raise your hand, uh, but you may want to. Uh, are you under the influence of sin? Anybody ever been tempted in their entire life, even once? You can raise your hand now. You ever been tempted, ever? If you didn't raise your hand, you were tempted to lie just now, okay? And we all saw it, so you better go and confess before Jesus. We all saw it. And so if, you, if you're under the influence of sin, you're tempted to sin. And you're under the effects of sin. If you've ever been sick, that's an effect of sin. The world was cursed when sin entered the world, and all kinds of effects and symptoms came with it. And among that is sickness. Among that is death. Among that is pain. All of those things are symptoms of sin, the effects of sin we are still experiencing today. God did not plan cancer. That was a symptom of sin, a broken world system. It is a symptom of sin. And so what must happen, as Paul says here, the natural body must be sown. It must be placed into the ground. It must die. So this body that's under the, the influence and effects of sin, it needs to die. It needs to go away. So that, he says, the spiritual body, the body that is under the influence and eternal effects of the spirit will be raised. Now, we're still un we can still be under the influence of the Spirit now. We know that. Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, that eternal life begins when you get saved. So if you believe in Jesus, you already have an eternal life. You have an eternal spirit. You just don't have an eternal body yet. You need both to go into heaven. And so he says we will then have a spiritual body, a body that is completely under the influence and eternal effects of, of the Spirit. And so he will direct every part of who we are, every decision we make. Not only that, everyone in heaven will be experiencing the same thing. They will all have spiritual bodies. They will all be under the influence and eternal effects of the Spirit. So you don't have to worry about your neighbor doing wrong as people, not my, my neighbors are phenomenal. Give me an amen there, Patty and Jean. <laughs> my neighbors are great, uh, but uh, maybe your neighbors aren't. <laughs> maybe your fellow church members aren't. But other churches, not our church. But people who are under the influence and effects of sin, that won't be exist in heaven. Because everybody will be under the influence and effects of the Spirit. You won't have to worry about the person in line when you go vote. They won't be voting in heaven, praise Jesus. But you won't have to worry about any of that because we'll all be under the influence and effects of the Spirit. The influence and effects of the Spirit. That's what heaven's going to be. We're going to have a spiritual body. A spiritual body. So he will, the Spirit will completely influence us in every possible way, in every decision we make. And that will impact every decision I make therein and therefore and, and thereafter uh, in heaven. He will influence me and that will impact all of my decisions, just as it should now. I should be completely under the influence of the Spirit now, but my mind, I don't know about yours, tends to wander and I tend to be under the influence of other things. And the thing about influence is we don't often recognize when an influence is bad until we are far down the line, or maybe even not at all, until we get to heaven and realize, man, I made some poor decisions because of some influences, some voices I allowed into my life. You see, what I allow to influence me now will impact my future. What I allow to influence me now will impact my future. Paul says there in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, talking about a natural body and a spiritual body, sin influences the natural body and impacts our future. The Spirit can influence us now in our natural bodies. The Spirit can influence us and have great, lasting impact on into our future. 
but it's what influences do we allow in and around us, even by default, simply because we don't want to offend one of those influences, we just continue to allow that influence in and around us. Let me, it's, it's not in my notes at all, <laughs> but it's popped into my head. Let me give you an illustration of this from a church perspective. I read an article this week, very fascinating article. Uh, but before we even get to the church part, uh, if somebody in your presence, do you, do you ever allow somebody around you to badmouth your spouse, to badmouth your kids? You ever allow somebody to, I mean, not just, you know, complain, like their teacher, I'm sure their teacher doesn't complain. Your, your teachers of your kids never complain here in Dequeen ISD, ever, ever, okay? Or Horatio, they never complain. Because all the kids here are angels. But they, um, I'm being facetious, come on. Uh, kids are kids. But do you ever allow somebody to just badmouth your spouse or your kids in your presence? Do you ever badmouth your kids or your, or your spouse? I mean, just straight, not just complain to each other because you're asking for prayer, but not in a gossipy way because you didn't really need it. But do you ever, I mean, just straight badmouth, like they are evil and terrible and despicable? No, you don't. And yet, how often do we find either ourselves or somebody else bad-mouthing the bride of Christ, the church, God's church? Either we do it or we allow somebody else to do it and we don't stop it. If somebody's bad-mouthing my wife, that's stopping right there in that moment. You, you're not saying that mess. You're not saying, you're not talking that way about my wife. Uh-uh. You're not talking that way about my kids. You don't know my kids. You don't, maybe I taught them to do, to do that. <laughs> you don't know. You're not going to badmouth my wife. You're not going to badmouth my kids. And yet, God's church, a lot of times, allow not just, we don't just say things. We allow other people to say things that badmouth God's church. We do. I mean, we just, we do. And, and that's not what God intends. And God, is not just today, but we've seen in weeks past in the book of Revelation, as well as the words of Jesus, the church is called the bride of Christ. And when we badmouth the bride of Christ, we're speaking in a, in a way uh, that is terrible. It's not honoring to God in any capacity whatsoever. And so when someone speaks that way in our presence, we're allowing their influence on us. And by not stopping it, we are influencing them into saying it's okay to say that, to speak that, to be that. It's okay to do that. Influence can be direct in that we're the one doing the acting, or it can be indirect in the one we're simply allowing it to happen. If I walk into a room, my kids are watching something inappropriate on TV, I'm turning the TV off. Probably going to cancel the cable. Maybe cancel TV. Maybe throw the TV away. <laughs> it's, it's done. It's over. It's, it's not going to happen. And yet, we do it all the time when we allow people to say things about God's church, about other people, when we allow gossip or slander in our presence. We, by default, we simply allow it to go on, and we allow their influence to seep into us. And by not saying anything, we allow our influence to seep into them. Our influence can have far-reaching impact, way beyond anything we've ever known, anything way beyond we can imagine, in, in the subtleties, in, in the things that just people pick up on in their subconscious and don't even realize. And so influence is very important what we allow to influence our natural bodies and our spiritual bodies. And in order to have our spiritual body, in order for our spiritual body to, to you know, be under the influence 
and effects of the Spirit, this body under the influence and effects of sin has to pass away, has to be done away with. And it's not the only thing that's going to pass away. This body will pass away. It's not the only thing that will pass away. In Revelation chapter 21, John writes, The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. New heaven and new earth come, first heaven and first earth passed away. Now, he's talking in very same language that Paul was talking in Corinthians about this natural body being sown, dying, being passed away, being done away with. And John says in Revelation, the first earth and the first heaven have passed away. They've died, in a sense, in the same way that these natural bodies will die. They're no more. They have passed away. No, he says the sea is no more. The earth and the heaven have passed away in the same way that our bodies pass away. There's an important distinction. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says it's something similar. On the day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavens will pass away. Same phrasing. It will pass away. Our bodies will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. And now sometimes when we, th- we don't think about this in terms of our bodies. We, we do think about it in terms of the world. Uh, I don't know if you, maybe you don't. I have thought about this in the past when we're thinking about the end times. We oftentimes think, uh, and this passage talks about being consumed in fire. Um, burned up. It says right there, we'll be burned up and dissolved. But uh, when we talk about being the heaven and earth passing away, we, we think about it almost like annihilation, like it's going away and never coming back. It's just gone, completely disappears. But what's interesting is that actually in this Second Peter passage, in a few verses before this, I don't think I have this on the screen, do I, Stacey? I don't think I do. Uh, I think it's Second Peter chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Peter's talking about the earth passing away before, when the flood came under Noah. He talks about the earth being destroyed by the flood under Noah. And the earth was destroyed. It was, scripture mentions that phrase exactly multiple times that the earth was destroyed under Noah. Well, the end's going to come again in, in, at the very end when earth, heaven and earth pass away. They will be destroyed again, but not destroyed in the sense that they are, you know, annihilated kind of deal. Destroyed just like they were destroyed when the flood came. The flood came and destroyed everything. The earth was considered to be destroyed by the flood, but then it was restored. It was reclaimed. It was resettled once it had been cleansed. Even though in Genesis, when the flood came, the earth was still under the curse. When this passes away here in Revelation 21, sin will be no more and the curse will be no more. The earth was destroyed before. It will be destroyed again. Uh, but it will be destroyed in, in a different way than we often think about. Uh, the earth is under the influence and effects of sin, just like our bodies are under the influence and effects of sin. Like a, but they will pass away and then be raised, like a caterpillar passes and is raised, a butterfly. They will pass away and be raised. Our spiritual bodies that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians will last forever. The earth that is raised will last forever just like the spiritual bodies will last. And the thing about our spiritual bodies is uh, we had some questions in, in, in the basket from this past week about our bodies and what are they going to look like, what are they going to be. Uh, I had a question in my small group. What are we going to wear in heaven? Are we going to be naked? Are we just going to wear robes? Are going to be like the Garden of Eden? What's it going to be like? Um, the Scripture talks about wearing clothes. <laughs> it does in, in Revelation. Uh, so it will be some kind of 
uh, uh, clothes that will be there, whether they're robes or they just use that phrasing in Revelation that people wearing robes in heaven simply because that is the language they knew of the day or whether we're going to have, you know, Jesus brand jeans. I don't know. Uh, but we'll be wearing something in heaven, uh, whatever it is. And uh, uh, our bodies will need to be raised in order to experience that moment. But what will our bodies look like in heaven? It's a question I even had two people ask me this morning. What are our bodies going to look like? What age are we going to be in heaven? What age? I said, well, when were you born and when are you going to die? And you'll be that age. What are you, you're, you're asking me, what age is your body going to look like? Uh, well, Scripture didn't, I'll just give you a, you know, a, a, a spoiler here. Scripture didn't tell us what age your body's going to look like. They said, well, I would think your body should look 20. Because that, you know, you should look right around there. I said, well, who knows? I mean, Moses was 120. He still had his eyesight and all of his strength. When, when Caleb took the mountain from the giants, he was 88, said he still had all of his strength from when he was 20. Who's to say 20-year-old is what you're going to look like in heaven? He said, well, I don't want to look like, you know, a 120-year-old person for all of eternity. I said, well, you don't know what a 120-year-old person was supposed to look like for all of it. You don't know. We don't know what God is going to have. All we know from Scripture is that our bodies will be perfect. That's all we know as far as the age we're going to look like in heaven. Honestly, it probably won't even matter to us. But there's something interesting because there is actually one body, physical body, in Scripture that is described that is an eternal body. We, we see it. We get a glimpse. Not just a glimpse. We get a description of a physical, spiritual body in Scripture from two passages. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. This is the body of Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead in his eternal body. He was taken in his resurrected body straight into heaven in the ascension. And so some things we can know about eternal bodies from Jesus' body. The disciples are locked in a room. Jesus shows up. Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And they said to him, or he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I see. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, they for, for joy, and, and they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. And then again, and interesting, in, in John chapter 20, verse 27, a week later, Jesus comes back because one of the disciples wasn't there, Thomas. And Jesus says to him in John 20, 27, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side where the spear went in when he was crucified. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, we know, I mean, Jesus says they touch him there. This is his eternal body. This is his resurrected eternal body. He, it's a physical body. It's a, it's a physical form. He could be touched. Notice it says he could eat. Somebody asked me last week, are we going to eat in heaven? We know there's going to be the, the you know, marriage supper of the Lamb. But will we eat besides that? I mean, Jesus there in his resurrected body ate fish. He ate it in his resurrected body. So we know that there will be food that we can consume. 
Now, how all that's going to operate biologically, I don't know. I'm not Jesus. Take it up with him. <laughs> but we know there's going to be food because we, we know we're going to be able to eat. Jesus ate. We know we're going to be able to touch. Jesus was touched. But I want to point something out to you that's going to make some of you a little concerned and maybe even worried. In his resurrected body, Jesus still had the holes that were in his arms, that were in his feet, that were in his body. He still had the holes that were there from his crucifixion. Think about that. If I were designing a physical, eternal body for Jesus, I would have thought holes weren't intended to be there by God. He didn't put the holes, the nails there. He didn't put the, the spear there. The, the Roman guards did. And so I would have assumed then that that was not necessarily something that would, should be eternally there. That's something that happened here on earth. The, the eternal body should be perfect and not have that stuff. That stuff's imperfect. But those holes would bring, brought in the moment and have sense and will on into eternity, brought God eternal glory. Those holes represented salvation. Those holes demonstrated salvation. And so Jesus had those holes in his body, in his resurrected body, because it brought God glory. You may say, and you may have said, and some of you have actually said to me since we started this series, well, in heaven, I really hope that I don't have blank, and you filled in the blank with something. I hope my body doesn't have this. I hope I don't look like this. I hope I don't have this. Whether your body has it or not, I don't know. I don't know. It may, it may not. But whatever our eternal perfect bodies has, it is to bring God glory. And so if there's something in your body right now that you just don't particularly like, maybe we need to shift our focus from that moment, from the vain and prideful issue, to maybe, is this thing that I've got bringing God glory? And if not, is there a problem with, in, in my spirit that I am allowing it not to bring God glory. Because everything in our lives should be able to bring God glory because everything in our lives we should be able to worship God through. Not that the, the, the difficulties and symptoms of sin that are present in your life, not God given, God allowed, but the things that are there should not be worshipped and sh should not be thanked for, but God's presence through the difficulty should be. And so whether or not you have that thing that, that you filled in the blank with a minute ago that you're really hoping you don't have in heaven? I don't know. But we do know Jesus had those holes in his resurrected body. He still had them. And I would say he still has them now. That's his resurrected body. That's his eternal body. Those, those holes from his crucifixion brought God incredible glory. So they remained on into eternity so they could continue to bring God eternal glory. So your eternal spiritual body, we can see from this, they recognize Jesus physically, that your eternal spiritual body will be similar to your current body, only perfect, and completely without the influence and effects of sin. So your eternal spiritual body will be perfect, just without, it will be completely without the influence and effects of sin. What that looks like, that's up to God. I don't think there's some you know, scale. I think it, God designs it specifically for the person, just as he designed every specific person differently, that it will be different for every individual, what that looks like. Maybe some of us will look 20. Maybe some of us will look 80. Maybe some of us will look 1,005. I don't know. We'll find out. Maybe our perception of the way people look in certain ages is just totally whack because the world is messed up. 
We'll find out. We'll find out. And we'll celebrate God as we find out. Your eternal body will be similar to this one, just perfect. You'll be able to recognize other people in heaven. They recognize Jesus. They knew Jesus. They could recognize him. You'll be able to recognize people in heaven, people who beat you there, family members who beat you there, grandparents, parents, kids. Maybe, maybe a, a, you, you, you had a baby who died. That baby will be in heaven. We know from Scripture, Scripture says that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a command. You have to have the ability to give mental assent and heart assent to believe. And so if a baby does not have that capability, they are going to be in heaven until the moment they have the ability to do what Scripture says, they are covered by Jesus. Even an adult who does not have the mental capacity or the heart capacity to do that, they cannot disobey that command because they don't have the ability they will be in heaven. You will recognize them in their perfect body. Perfect body. And that child who beat you to heaven will recognize you when you get there. They're already there. I had a great illustration in a book uh, I was reading recently. Uh, it was uh, written by a guy whose daughter died when she was five uh, in front of him. And uh, he, had the, he, he, he was trying to explain this to his other kids. Um, the imagery was... Uh, that if you can feel the presence of Jesus now, you can almost feel the presence of the one who beat you there. Because it's like being around a corner from them. And you're holding Jesus' hand, and Jesus is holding their hand, and you're right there with them. Almost there. Almost there. Heaven is coming. Heaven will be experienced. Heaven will have physical bodies for those of us who are going, and we will... Uh, uh, recognize people when we get there. There won't, there won't be a need for heavenly name tags. We're going to recognize each other. We're going to recognize each other in our physical, spiritual bodies. Our bodies will be resurrected to experience heaven. But our bodies are not the only things that will be resurrected, as we've talked about. Colossians chapter 1, talking about Jesus. Paul writes, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in all things, and in him all things hold together. So he says all things a lot, right, there in those verses. So all things were created by Jesus. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that in everything, he might be preeminent. Verse 19. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was fully God. Here's the kicker. Verse 20. Through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Reconcile to himself all things. God is going to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus. All things will be reconciled, will be, uh, uh, will receive in order to be reconciled to God eternal bodies. Eternal believers will be reconciled, will receive eternal bodies. And all other, he says there, all things, all other non-human created things will be reconciled as well. They will be resurrected, perfect, and unbroken. Because in the original language, in Greek, just like in English, all things means all things. It, it means all, everything. 
humans, people who are created in the image of God, can only go to heaven once they believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection, and then they die. Well, everything else he says there will also be reconciled. All things will be reconciled on that day, at that moment, at that time. And what moment is that? Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God. Now, what this means, creation, all of creation, just what he wrote uh, there in Colossians. All creation waits. Every other created thing besides human beings waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the resurrection of the sons of the children of God, for, for the day that when we receive our eternal bodies, when everyone who has ever been created, the last, you know, everyone has been saved, who will be saved, and has been resurrected in eternal, uh, our eternal spiritual bodies in heaven. At that moment, that's the moment creation, all of the creation is waiting for, with eager longing, for this reason, verse, these next few verses, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation was subjected, not willingly. Creation, every other created thing outside of human beings, was forced under the curse that came, the curse of sin, the symptoms of sin, were forced under that curse when sin entered the world, when sin began with Adam and Eve. And we have been sinning ever since into infinitum for, for all kinds of sins. And the world has been subjected to the symptoms of that since then. But the world is waiting. Creation is waiting. Grass, trees, dirt, animals. They're waiting for this moment. They're, they're waiting for, for the moment, as he says there in verse 21, be, to be set free from the bondage of corruption, that corruption of sin. They're, 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 they're waiting for that moment to obtain the freedom of the glory of God. Look at the next verse. Uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Groaning together, all non-human creation groans in pain because of the curse of sin. The, the same, you know, similar the illustration, groaning in childbirth. It's painful now. It feels like death now, but the end result is life and joy. Verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So notice back in verse 19, we have to be resurrected before the rest of creation can be resurrected. We have to receive our eternal bodies before the rest of creation receives resurrection, before they receive this thing they are longing for, this freedom that they're longing for. But what I want you to notice as well that we just saw in those two passages from Colossians and from Romans, that sin impacts far more than just those who have sinned. The curse of sin impacts far more than just those who have sinned. It, it has lasting ramifications that, that uh, ripple out that we're not always aware of, that impact far more than just those people who have sinned. In the same way, Adam and Eve sinned. I wasn't there in the garden, but their sin impacts me today. Their sin impacts me today. In the same way, as a parent, I can speak 
I know my sin impacts my kids. It does. My sin impacts my wife. My sin impacts the people who are around me. My sin impacts the people under my influence. It does. It has impact there that I'm not aware of in the moment when the sin occurs. But sin is not the only thing that has lasting impact. The spirit within us, Jesus within us, can have lasting impact in a greater way. Jesus in you can impact many more through you. Jesus in you can impact many more through you. Just as sin can have lasting impact, Jesus in you can have lasting impact if we listen to him, if we follow him. And and you may ask, how can I know that the Spirit is impacting anyone through me? How can I know that it's the Spirit who's impacting anyone through me? How can I know? The first question you've got to ask, though, is how can I know the Spirit is impacting me, is influencing me? How can I know it's the Spirit influencing me and not some other voice and not my own voice? How can I know it's the Spirit who's influencing me in those decisions, in those effects that will last for generations on into eternity? Paul writes of this. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, notice he says fruit, singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those things are not illegal yet. They're not illegal Go back, Stacy. go back to verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit comes from the tree. Fruit is proof that the tree is alive. The fruit of the Spirit in any individual is proof that the Spirit is in that individual. So the proof that you have the Spirit, the proof that you have Jesus, the proof that he is influencing you are those nine things. Are those nine things. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those nine things are the proof of the Spirit in you. And so if there's a moment or one of those things you struggle with or that's out of whack, or if, if you are human, it's probably more than one of those things, that's out of whack, then quite possibly our rhythm with the Spirit is out of whack. Something's not quite lining up. Maybe it's joy. Maybe you really struggle with joy. Maybe your house isn't one, honestly, that's full of a whole lot of joy or a whole lot of goodness, a whole lot of gentleness. Maybe it's overbearing. Maybe it's a little rough. And maybe that's because we might be out of rhythm, out of step with the Spirit, with Jesus. Because actually two verses later, verse 25, Paul writes this. If we live by the Spirit, if we have the Spirit, if we have the proof of the Spirit, this is what happens. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with that word, that phrase literally means to think, speak, and act according to the Spirit's influence. To think, speak, and act according to the Spirit's influence. What's what Paul wrote about when he was talking about the influence uh, of, you know, the influence and effects of sin on the natural body, the influence and effects of the Spirit on the spiritual body. Here, that's what that phrase literally means, to think, speak, and act according to the Spirit. 
So to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, is to have His impact and His influence, the one that directs us. And if we do, then those nine things are the proof that He is with us. It is the proof that we are influencing those around us in the areas of the Spirit, in the areas of Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those areas demonstrate the Spirit in us. As I was studying this this last few weeks, a song kept ringing in my head. And it's one of those songs that gets stuck in your head. And if you've ever seen the movie, I'm going to mention, this song is not going to leave you for the rest of the day. You are welcome. Uh, it's from the movie Mary Poppins. Again, Dick Van Dyke, up on the rooftop, singing Step in Time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Step in time, step in time. Well, he sings, he's a chimney sweep, and he's got all these chimney sweep buddies. And they would dance, and I mean, they probably, chimney sweeps don't dance on rooftops in real life. If, if they do, get a video and post that online. You would get like a million views. Um, but they, in the movie, you know, dance on the rooftops. They get right up to the edge of the roof, and they don't fall off. And it's described in this song because they would step in time, keep time, keep the, the, the rhythm of the music would direct their steps and prevent them from falling over the edge. They would step in time, as the song goes, Step in time, step in time, uh, or, you know, different verses. Kick your knees up, step in time. Kick your knees up, step in time. Never need a reason, never need a rhyme. Kick your knees up, step in time. And the song goes on. Round the chimney, step in time. Round the chimney, step in time. Never need a reason, never need a rhyme. Round the chimney, step in time. And then it gets even more dramatic. Up on the railing, the railings of the roofs. Had, they had railings on the roof. And they would dance on the railings. Up on the railings, step in time. Up on the railings, step in time. Never need a reason, never need a rhyme. Up on the railings, step in time. And then they would jump from one house to the next. Over the rooftops, step in time. Over the rooftops, step in time. Never need a reason, never need a rhyme. Over the rooftops, step in time. And, and the, the idea of the song is they were never in danger of falling to their death because they were stepping in time to the rhythm of the song. That is the imagery of what our lives are supposed to be like with the Spirit. If we're stepping in time to the rhythm of the Spirit, which is what we're supposed to do, step in time to the rhythm of the Spirit, we're never in danger of falling to our death. We're never in danger of being influenced by something outside of the Spirit. If we're stepping in time to the rhythm of the Spirit, then he's the one who's influencing us. And if he's the one who's influencing us, then he's the one through us who's influencing others. And those nine things that Paul lists there in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that's almost like a checklist. That's not what, you know, it's not, but it can be for our own spiritual well-being. Go through those nine things and maybe even have somebody around you, am, am I displaying these nine things? I mean, I can look at that list right now and say, no, I, I know some, uh, some of those I'm struggling with. But if I'm not displaying those nine things, that means that I'm not keeping in time to the Spirit. I'm not uh, keeping in step with the rhythm of the Spirit. I'm not stepping in time to the rhythm of the Spirit. There's somewhere in me that is not experiencing the rhythm of the Spirit. Even you know, the, the, this last week, I was having an argument in my, in my head with an individual whom I haven't talked to in months. And the last conversation we had was not very kind from them to me. And it's, oh, I'm going to get them because this, this, that, and the other thing. And I hadn't seen them. I hadn't had the opportunity. Uh, but that, that hijacked my brain for about 24 hours. And I was having my time with the Lord yesterday morning. And he said, what are you doing? You're not about to have a conversation with that person today. Why are you walking through an imaginary conversation that this is him speaking to me? Honestly, you're never going to have. Let's be honest about this. 
you're allowing something to influence you that is going to damage the ones you are going to influence today. Get back in Scripture. And in that moment, he gave me, it's in my journal, he gave, I think it was six or seven Scriptures uh, that he wanted me to focus on for the next 24 hours instead of that imaginary fake conversation that was never going to happen. And it changed my dynamic for that 24-hour period. And still is having lasting ramifications. I'm talking about it before y'all. God, his influence in us can change everything about the people around us if we allow it to change us. If we step in time to the rhythm of the Spirit, not allow the rhythm of this dying world to run away with us, not allowing the rhythm of politics to run away with us, not allowing the rhythm of that person who obviously has no joy to try to speak life into you when they don't have life themselves. Shut that voice off and say, I need to get with Jesus. I need to step in time to the rhythm of the Spirit and not allow this to, to mess with where we're going. That voice is front. Don't, don't be go home and say to your spouse, you are the voice of the enemy. Don't do that. Adam, then you'll be the voice of the enemy to, to him, to her. Don't do that. Or do that to your kids when they're screaming at 2 in the morning. You're the voice of the enemy. Shut up. Don't do that. Don't, don't talk that way to your kids. You may in your head, but don't do, even do that. But you need to step in time to the rhythm of the Spirit and not the rhythm of anything else that would pull you away from where God wants you to be. You have to take one step after another. Even if all you can take is one step. Take, even if it's a baby step. Like, what about Bob? Baby steps. Baby step to the door. Baby step out the door. Just baby steps. You got to take baby steps. Some of you don't even want to talk about Bill Murray. You got to take baby steps to wherever you're going. Baby steps. If that's all you can take, that's all you can take. Just take it. Take the step, the next step to get in time to the rhythm of the Spirit. And as you're going with the rhythm of the Spirit, he'll begin to set the pace of your life. And the pace of the Spirit, the pace of Jesus is the pace of grace. It's not an unbearable pace. It's not a pace that's going to break you. It's the pace of grace. The pace of grace will change you and change everyone around you if you fall into the pace of grace, which is the rhythm of the Spirit, defined by those nine things, will change your life and everyone else's life around you forever. So take those nine things as an element of the checklist for your own personal life. But step one into stepping in time to the rhythm of the Spirit is preparing yourself for what Jesus is preparing you for. Preparing yourself for what Jesus is preparing you for. He's preparing you for an eternity in heaven. And you have to prepare yourself for that moment. He tells us in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be where I, I, I missed the end there, that I go to prepare a place for you, go to, go to verse 3, uh, that I will take you to myself, and that where I am, you may be also. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare it. I mean, imagine parents, when they find out they're pregnant, they start preparing mentally, they start preparing their house for the kid coming home. Y'all just had a kid. You prepared beforehand, right? I mean, you didn't just say, all the kids going to show up on the way home from the hospital. We can run in Walmart and grab a crib and stuff. That's, you're not going to do that. You prepare beforehand. And if we human beings do that, imagine how good a preparation is going on by our Creator as He prepares a place for us. So we have to prepare for what He is preparing for us and know the way to where 
uh, we are going, the place that he is preparing for us. He says that in the next verses there in John chapter uh, 14, in verse 6. Jesus said, this is how you can know to go where I am preparing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can only go to the place he is preparing by believing in him. We can only go to heaven by believing in Jesus, not by any other means, not by doing more good today than yesterday, not, not by keeping a, a mental checklist of all my good things that I did. I'm going to lay that out before him. The mental checklist should be the fruits of the Spirit. Then am I being influenced by the Spirit and allowing him to direct my path today? Am I following the Spirit? Am I following Jesus? Am I following the plan God has for me? You've got to believe in Jesus. And then he will influence you, and he can direct you, and he can guide you, and he can prepare you for what he is preparing for you in heaven, your eternal spiritual body. In whatever way it looks and however we experience it, it will be an experience beyond anything we have in this moment. But you've got to be influenced by him. And so right now you have a decision to make, all of us. First, am I going to be influenced by the Spirit and believe in Him? Will you believe today in Jesus? Whether you're in the room or you're watching online, if you're watching online, click that link right below me. Click on that button that says, I made a decision. And you want to believe in Jesus, that He died so all your sins would be forgiven, and He rose so you could live after you die. You click that. That sends an email right to my email, and I will get it, and I will call you tomorrow. Guarantee. I'll call you tomorrow unless all the cell phone lines are down and my computer explodes and I can't get my email, then you'll wait till Tuesday. But I will call you this week, and we'll take care of it. And, I, and, and it, we want to celebrate with you and, and, and pray for you all that God has planned for you. So if that's the first decision. You need to believe in Jesus. If you already believe in Jesus, what you need to do is allow him to influence you. Allow him to influence you so you can step in time to the rhythm of the Spirit, displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Even with a difficult person in your life, even with a difficult person in your house, even with the person in your neighborhood who doesn't vote like you, even with a difficult person who may be sitting on the same row as you in this room or sitting on the same couch with you at home, you need to step in time to the rhythm of the Spirit and allow it to change you. 